Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello and Merry Christmas in the middle of July. We're continuing our tribute to the great James Caan, who we tragically lost just a few days ago. And today we're going back to a holiday movie in the middle of summer. And that is John Favreau's Elf starring Will Ferrell and James Caan. I always forget how damn funny he is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Not a guy who got to do a lot of comedies after, I think after the 70s. He really didn't get to do... A lot of comedies, but it, but this is, and I'm glad we're ending on this one because, you know, when you've lived 82 years and you've left a legacy of memorable roles that have spanned numerous decades and you've been, you know, blessed enough to, to work successfully in this business and leave, leave a legacy beyond just your performances, also with your interviews and your unique approach to the world, you know, nonsense approach to the world ending it should be something that you celebrate the life like this that was that was lived should be celebrated and i feel like this film is a celebration of christmas and in a way a celebration of james con because i i would could have thought of 45 other actors you cast before you get to james con for this role he is so unusual just like ed asner is santa claus these are two of the most unusual castings in a christmas film yet it absolutely works And the reason it works is because you needed to have somebody who was going to be the curmudgeon, somebody who was going to be that person who was quick to anger, quick to be uh, on the naughty list. You had to have somebody here, but you also had someone that you wanted to see redeemed. And I think what you see here in this film, which is a fantastic performance from James Caan, is right off the bat, he is totally thrown off by this whole situation. He is like, oh, yeah, you just sing me a song or whatever. Yeah, whatever you're supposed to do. And then when he says the name from James Conn's past, there's a, a react. Like, where'd you get the name? How do you find out about this? And then step by step, egged on by Mary Steenburgen, he opens the door to establishing this. And Michael, of course, the young brother, uh, establishing his relationship with Buddy. And it isn't until that moment with Michael Lerner in the, uh, when he's pitching the book that he realizes after Michael Lerner talks that way to Michael – how much he actually does care about Buddy and love Buddy. And that's James Caan. And it's so believable, yep. running after him and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, at the end, he's not the one singing, which is perfect because, of course, that's the last hurdle, the last right. step. So in a way, his character is so, so essential to making this movie work because he's the last one to finally give in and express that Christmas spirit. Uh, and isn't it usually our old curmudgeon grandfathers or dads who are the last ones to finally dial into the spirit every year? So it's great to have him be a part of this movie for sure. So I, I have a thought. And what, what's funny is I haven't listened to our Elf episode in a long time. So I don't remember if I had this thought before or if it's new. So as we, as you listen to the episode, maybe I'm repeating myself. But there's a bunch of movies we've done where the main no, theoretically in a screenplay, the main character has an arc and they're going to change in the course of the film. Yeah. Yeah, but there's yeah, a bunch yeah. of movies we've done where it's really a supporting character that has the arc. Buddy doesn't have an arc. Buddy's Buddy, you know. Yeah, yeah right, it's right. It's James Caan's character that has the arc. Yes. He goes on a journey and changes. And what, what's interesting, thinking about it now, and again, like I said, maybe I said these exact things when we recorded the episode. I don't remember. But but 
I, I hadn't thought about this as, you know, we just passed Father's Day and we were talking yeah. about father-son movies. This is a father-son movie. Oh, it's absolutely you know, a father-son movie. You know, yeah. and there's that moment and it would happen in a sports movie where dad shows up at the big game, yeah. you know, a strange dad. And that's what gives the kid the strength to win the big whatever it is. Yeah. That's what happens in this movie, essentially, yeah. is dad shows up at the climactic moment and it's dad's belief that we had to get to through his arc that allows Christmas to be saved. Yep. You know, it's not Buddy who saves Christmas. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Buddy doesn't guilt him into it. Buddy doesn't, uh, you know, try to manipulate him into it. He has to come to it on his own. So it has to be authentic. And so in that moment, you know, he sees it. And, and Michael does call him out and says, Buddy was right. You know, you only care about yourself. And, and it's that situation there. So he has to confront the things that he is kind of shut away. And Buddy, and maybe this connection with, you know, finding out that this is a woman that he loved for a long time and she passed away. Who knows how much of that hurt is operating yeah. underneath that performance and having the son of a woman he had kind of put away in his mind because of the pain of the loss come back into his life. What is that situation like? So it's all of that that's playing here and operating here. And I think Khan finds some really interesting and unique moments to show you. I mean, with the tickle thing when he's trying to tuck him in bed, I mean, that all of that you kind of just like well, this is so so crazy of what they put him through in the movie i'm giving him the the negligee i mean all of it is so well and he plays with amy sedaris so well mm. that i think is just so important as well in establishing his character and, and what he does well and this is why there are times when you're casting someone because of their performance but yeah. there's also times you're casting someone which of course james con gives a great performance but you're also casting someone sometimes because of our association with that actor from the past. Right. You know, yes. and because James Caan is Sonny Corleone, he's played all these tough guys and he has a reputation as this sort of tough, you know, not anything like warm and fuzzy. Yeah. That's why he's such perfect casting in this movie, yeah. you know, because he brings all that stuff with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so good. He's so good in this film. Huh? And, and, you know, Will Ferrell is at peak Will Ferrell as far yes, as concerned. Yes. He, he has that ability to just be to just be funny. <laughs> Not do a funny thing, but to just be he, he just is funny walking around the room, you know. Um so, without further ado, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and please enjoy this tribute to James Caan as we revisit John Favreau's Elf. Your costume is pretty. Oh, it's not a costume. I'm an elf. Well, technically I'm a human, but I was raised by elves. Oh, I'm a human. Raised by humans. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore the themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Merry Christmas, everybody. This is John Roca. I'm a writer, producer, and host over there on the Outlaw Nation, co-host of this show, and voiceover guy, uh, and massive fan of this movie, Steve. I'm glad that we are doing it. Well, and this, you know, we every year as it's getting closer to holidays, we have the little debate of what should we do? Should it be an old black and white classic? Should it be a cynical <laughs> new Hollywood movie? And this year we settled on 
the warm, fuzzy feelings <laughs> of Elf. Elf, yeah, which is a, a modern Christmas classic. So many people revere it. And as we're recording this, they just did a benefit reading of it with Will Ferrell coming back and some of the cast members, uh, a stage reading of it over Zoom. And our friend Sarah Copperthwaite got a chance to be a part of it and watch it and was sending me multiple clips and pictures of it. Uh, so it was great to see that some of the stuff still holds up. It's still fun. Even if it's not in the film, it's the material still works. That's awesome. I hadn't heard about that at all. That's mm. really cool. Um, do you remember how you first came to Elf? Oh, yeah. I think it was with the crew. I think we all were like excited about the trailer. This is Will Ferrell like, coming out of SNL. This was kind of his first lead role film. I think he'd been in other films. And so we were all excited from the trailer. Like We were kind of hesitant. And you know, there's such a big stream, a big uh, strain of Christmas loving in our group of friends so or loving Christmas. And so we set this up to go and see it. And I remember all of us, it's Sarah and Vogel and a bunch of other people. I think we were all just like loving the movie from top to bottom uh, i was trying to remember so this is 2003 it's possible i went with you you were in possible. la then right yeah 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 definitely i i did see it in the theater but mm. i can't remember exactly the circumstances here's what's weird about this movie as you say our group of friends has all these christmas traditions yeah and one of them is our party annual party which we haven't had aren't, aren't having this year obviously called faux yeah. christmas which was i think you guys started it when you were still in florida state right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so my experience with Elf, I saw it in the theater. Yeah. I don't think I've ever watched the whole thing since then, except oh. that every year at that faux Christmas party, along with Christmas Vacation, Elf is one of the movies that's always playing. Yep. And so I would walk into the room and grab a cookie and watch a scene. And then I would walk out and yeah. then I would come back in and I'd go, oh, I love this scene. I'd sit down for 10 minutes and then I would go out. And so I'd see it every year. I would see parts of it. But mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think I had watched it beginning to end yeah. until two days ago. Yeah. <laughs> since, oh, wow. Since, since, since 2003. I mean, I'd oh, seen it wow. back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it's oh. so funny. There are scenes that I was a hundred percent had memorized, yeah. and scenes I had very little memory of. How oh, I, I see that I watch this one all the time, every year at least once. Um, it's just one of those ones that makes you feel good, and so yeah, that's it's so interesting to hear that you haven't heard it or watched it in a while, uh, front to back. So interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's like the old days of, you know, switching channels and popping in on mm. a movie and never seeing the beginning, you know? Yeah. There were so many movies like that. And now, I know you still do that, but now I'm, you know, if I'm going to watch a movie, I am streaming it or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, that's just something, a discussion that came not to divert, but real quick, uh, there's a discussion I've had with some of my uh, uh, Outlaw Nation people on Q&A. It's like, is the, are the days of uh, non-purposeful viewing over? Are the days of random viewing over because with the end or people cutting cords and people just getting streaming services, you are going into the streaming service for a specific reason to watch a specific movie as opposed to wandering around and just having the cable company choose or the channel choose for you something that it happens to be playing and you stumble upon it and enjoy watching it. Uh, Maybe those days of non-purposeful viewing are coming to an end. I I think it is largely, I mean, because for... My kids, for younger mm. generations, they they never did that. Yeah, you know they they mm. never switch channels, yeah. and it's so funny because it's one of these weird ways where getting exactly what you want might not be so good for you. Yeah, yeah. because you're always going to seek out the familiar. You're going to seek out the thing you like. Right. Whereas you and I, because there were only so many channels, it's like this is what was on. So you watched an old black and white movie. Yeah. Or you watched an old TV show because you were forced to, and some of it mm-hmm. was terrible, but some of it. 
open up your mind to new yep. things. Yeah, agreed. Um, tiny bit of pre-production. Um, so the script was written by David Berenbaum. It, he wrote it back in 1986. Wow. And it, you know, it went into what we call development hell, which is mm. it bounced around and there's a moment where people are interested and then it kind of dies and then it bounced around again. Sounds like the closest they came was in 93. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell if Jim Carrey was officially attached but they were in talks with Jim Carrey, and that's peak Jim Carrey in 93. Yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously that fell through. It sounds like the original uh, idea was much, much darker. Mm -hmm. It was a much more cynical version of this. Um, yeah. Tom Carmenicki came on as the producer, and that's when uh, Will Ferrell uh, got attached. And this is just when he's coming mm -hmm. up, because Zoolander is 2001. Old School also comes out mm. in 2003, just before this. Yeah. And, and and Anchorman is the next year. Anchorman is 2004. Um, uh, and they bring in... Here's what I couldn't figure out. because I, I So, John Favreau definitely came in to do rewrites. Yes. And what I couldn't figure out is, was he... What, did he come in to do rewrites as the director? Mm. Or did they hire him as a writer to do re, to punch up the script? And then later he became the director. That's how I heard it. That then uh, doing some research because I, you know, doing the my aborted Twenty Five Days of Christmas. One of the films we <laughs> covered was Elf, and I and I doing some research for it. I found that yes, you're right, Steve. The script was darker, and that's when they had Terry Zwigoff attached to mm. it, who ended up doing Bad Santa, the Billy Bob Thornton movie right. instead. But I think when Carrie was attached, that's what they were looking at. When Will Ferrell came on to the thing, I think Favreau was a writer at that point doing punch-ups. When Will Ferrell came on, then the possibility of Favreau became something they they entertained. And Favreau didn't want to do it initially, and then eventually they talked him into taking it. He, I think he had turned it down like a couple of times. Because remember, this isn't, you know, Favreau wasn't directing movies left and right. He was still right. kind of walking into it, so... Well, and he was an indie guy who had yep. done Swingers and done a couple of small films. And, you know, this is before Iron Man. And certainly, I mean, we think about him yeah. now with Mandalorian. Like, yeah, he is hugely powerful. Yeah. You know, Lion King is one of the, you know, it's not a particularly good movie, but one of the most successful yeah. Disney animated films of the last many years. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like his way in was when he suddenly went, oh, it could be an homage to all those Christmas shows we grew up with, all the Rankin and Bass, Rudolph mm -hmm. the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Santa Claus is Coming Town, all those stop-motion things. And once that clicked for him, it sounds like the spirit of the movie really came into focus. That makes sense, because so many of those moments are so great when we get to them in the movie. Well, well, and it's also, it sounds like the cynicism, they were making mm -hmm. fun of Christmas. That mm -hmm. was sort of the way it was before. And what this is movie is while the, the humor is all there, it's it's never making fun of it. Mm, it's all right. sincere. Yeah. You know, and, and the, the the direction the movie goes is is to embrace all of that, mm -hmm. even though it had made fun of some of it. Yeah. Um and uh the one of by the way, there were many writers who came on, including Adam McKay came on with because he was partners with Will Farrell, so he mm -hmm. did passes. The guys that wrote Starsky and Hutch did a joke pass on it. Mm -hmm. And that's something um there are a lot of hands in studio movies and particularly this idea of someone comes in, does a dialogue pass and then, mm -hmm. and then an actor gets attached and they go, well, I want my character to be a little more like that. So someone comes in and does a character pass mm -hmm. and then the studio looks and goes, well, this isn't funny enough or it's an action movie. We don't have good enough action sequences. So they bring in another writer to do that. That happens a lot. And then mm -hmm. only, you know, and then the, what happens is the WGA, the writers guild, they'll go and look at it and decide, well, who wrote the most and that's who gets credit. 
Yeah. yeah. It's a really weird system. <laughs> uh, would you like to take a journey to the North Pole and let's, get into Elf? Let's do it, man. It starts with that storybook music and a book opens and there is Bob Newhart. <laughs> oh, hello. You're, uh, you're probably here about the, the story. That is inspired casting. Mm, yeah, absolutely. The, the, just the moment he opens his mouth, you get the tone of this movie. And and it's surprising because Steve and I, Steve, you and I are from that time where we've seen the Newhart uh, both series, and yeah. uh, he is a dry wit, uh, at times sarcastic, subtly sarcastic at times, mm-hmm. sometimes overtly kind of guy. So to have him be this. And he does play the same character. Like, he plays this character. He's Bob as, Newhart, yeah. Yeah, he's Bob Newhart, but he's also very vulnerable. He's very sweet. This is not something we're used to seeing from Bob Newhart, who's commenting on everyone else's stuff uh, in both of his series. And so to see him be uh, somebody who he, Bob Newhart, in his other series would probably make fun of was a nice <laughs> change of pace. It's, it's really funny. And he tells the story, and it starts off with... Uh, there are only three jobs available. One job is to help shoemakers, cobblers in the middle of the night, and we cut to the elves doing that. And the other job, of course, is to bake cookies. And we cut to essentially the Keebler elf tree, which is on fire. (laughs) But having ovens in dry trees isn't always the best idea. Um, By the way, the way they did the Keebler, uh, there's a lot of really clever and old school special effects. Mm. Most of the things you see are all done in camera including this and the way they did it is there's a tree way in the background and that's where the elves are and then the top of the tree that's on fire that is way in the foreground it's mm. right in front of the camera and it's really small and do you know where the last place that i can think of that we heard someone doing this kind of special effect where there's a small miniature way in the foreground and then the characters way in the background uh, i can't think of what it's modern times when Charlie Chaplin oh, does the roller skating. Wow, yeah. Yeah, and because it's like they did that's the technology they had and the genius yeah. of being able to have those two images fit together perfectly is amazing to me. Yeah, yeah. The third job, some call it the the, the show or, or the the big dance. It's the profession that every elf aspires to and that is to build toys in Santa's workshop. <laughs> And then he says, no human being had ever set foot in Santa's workshop. You know what that line made me think? What's that? Wait, isn't Santa human? Oh, very good point. Although there is some, like they call him a jolly old elf mm-hmm. in some, but he's clearly human size and does not have pointed ears in this film. That's true. But also immortal. So yeah, I don't know. He's been around a while. I guess we, do, we don't have to dig too deep <laughs> in this film. It's not that important. Uh, That is until about 30 years ago. And as you may have guessed, that's where our story begins. And then we go into lovely old-fashioned stop-motion animation titles. It's great, 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 great score. And then we cut to the origin story. We're in like an orphanage and there's a nun with a baby who gently puts it down in the in the crib and it's you know it's obviously christmas eve and then santa comes down the chimney and shows up santa goes to eat the milk and cookies and he looks he sees the baby in the crib gets the cookies turns around baby not in the crib Mm -hmm. um we see that the kid is seen like a bear and santa's bag crawls towards it and then we get a hard cut we've had another very successful year (laughs) 
After all that hard work, it's time to start preparations for next Christmas. <laughs> this is the first shot we see of this. The way they did all the size ch- I just assumed mm. the size change was compositing two images. So they sh- film Santa, yeah. and then they film the elves, and then they stick them together. That is not how this was done. It's all in camera. Wow. It's all forced perspective. So what you're seeing is when you see big people and smaller people, mm-hmm. they have two sets that are built together. One set where the set is really big, and that's for the, for the elves, so they look small. And an exact duplicate to scale mm-hmm. that's really small, and that's where the humans are, so they look big. And that the elves are always 10 feet farther away from the camera. Okay. So because of the lensing, the yeah. elves end up looking much smaller. And so when they turn to look at each other, they're not looking at each other. They're looking at a piece of tape mm-hmm. because the person they're looking at is 10 feet behind them or 10 feet in front of them. Mm-hmm. And it's all done in camera like that. And I just, it is so amazing because you have to think about all the math because they decided, yeah. okay, the difference is 150%. So a human is 1.5 times the size of an elf. So therefore every prop Every piece of set, mm. every everything has to be exactly figured out. And the distance to the camera and the lensing has to be exactly precise to keep this illusion working the whole time. Yeah. And the scene between these two shots it has to be completely hidden so you never notice it. It's crazy. Incredible. Incredible. It, it really, it really is. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain to how, how they did some of these as we go along because really neat. Um, so, uh, we have Ed Asner, who's Santa. I love Ed Asner. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's still alive, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And I think he was on the reading for God's sakes, uh, still kicking around that Lou Grant and God love him, man. He's I, always great when he shows up. Well, and been, done stuff since the fifties. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, he was an up. He's the voice in up. Yeah. He's so great. He's aw- And he is an interesting, fun, cool person. I, yeah, I adore mm-hmm. him. Um, and, uh, and justice we're celebrating that something moves in that bag, that Santa bag, and out comes the baby. Fortunately, when it comes to babies, Santa's a, a pushover. So Buddy stayed with a, an older elf who had always wanted a child, but had been so committed to building toys, he, he well, had forgotten to, to settle down. <laughs> we cut to Bob Newhart. <laughs> and a great look on his face, just a very, yeah. like, you know, kind of really hopeful and uh, moving look on his face, which is great. he's so it's so funny that you could take his kind of dry Mm. sarcastic detachedness that is his whole career Mm -hmm. and just turn it a little bit and make it really sweet yeah because it's self-deprecating when he when he turns it that little bit to make it self-deprecating it becomes sweet in his other series he was very much making fun of everyone else in the series with him this one he self-deprecates so it makes it very sweet yeah though a buddy grew twice as fast he he wasn't any different from the other children. We cut to a shot of a giant kid sitting on uh, Bob Newhart's lap. Yeah. And it, again, this is forced perspective. So there's a kid sitting on a little girl. It's a little girl's legs that you are seeing. <laughs> and then there's a wooden chair. And then three feet behind the wooden chair is Bob Newhart's head. <laughs> so he looks really small and matches up with the little girl's legs. That's perfect. And then, and then the next one is a shot of them on the bicycle. And again, it's a kid. Oh, yeah. And then there is a tiny kid behind that kid with their, because it's kid hands. Yeah. They're supposed to be Bob Newhart's hands on the shoulder. And again, Bob Newhart, four feet behind him, <laughs> sticking his head out. 
And it's all done so like there are a few shots where you kind of can see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. But it's 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 really one thing they wanted to do. They wanted to have fires in the fireplaces, but then you're dealing with real physics, and there was no mm. way to make one fire look bigger and one fire look smaller. That's not possible. You yeah. know, you can because you could tell. Now, before we learn how to build the latest in extreme graphic chipset processors, let's recite the code of the elf, shall we? And as the camera moves across, we see kid elf, kid elf, kid elf, kid elf, giant buddy. Treat every day like Christmas. Number two. There's room for everyone on the nice list. Number three. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Will Ferrell's elf costume is perfect. Oh my God. It is so perfect in that it totally fits and uh, yet is somehow unique in its uh, color combo with that those bright yellow tights. The black boots and the green uh, jacket. It's just so totally weird. And the hat, which is perfect too as well. So, and then it's time. He's kind of a grown up and his dad is saying, you know what? Come on, you're going to be my new apprentice. And they walk into a room again. It's, you know, Bob Newhart walks through a big door. Will Ferrell walks through a tiny door and we see the sleigh because Papa has been working on the sleigh mm -hmm. and he's had to add some technology because the sleigh works on Christmas cheer. And as silly as it sounds... A lot of people down south don't believe in Santa Claus. What? <laughs> um, who do they think puts all the toys under the tree? Well, there's a rumor floating around that uh, that the parents do it. That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> they don't have the time. And what about the cookies, John? What about the cookies? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I suppose parents eat them too. <laughs> and every year, less and less people believe in Santa Claus. I mean, we have a real energy crisis on our hands and so that's why he had to build the kringle you know 2000 it's got 5,000 reindeer power engines that's a lot of reindeer power yeah it is um that's a small joke that i like as much as uh, buddy was accepted by his family and friends there were a few drawbacks to being a, a human in a an elf's world and we cut to Buddy. There's a long row of elves working. He, again, is up on a little platform, and he's set forward closer to the camera to make him look big. Mm -hmm. And he's looking stressed out, building a toy. And up walks his supervisor, Ming Ming. Yeah, Ming Ming. The Peter Billingsley. Peter, the great Peter. You can't have a Christmas movie without Peter Billingsley, for God's sakes. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny, like, looking at his face, because you go, you could so see that kid from Christmas Story. Oh, yeah. And he's also a producer, by the way. He's a producer on Iron Man. He's worked with John Favreau a lot. Just how many etches sketches did you get finished? I made uh, eighty-five. And there's shock. Just the hesitation. It's like yeah. it's like you know when you're gonna say something that you know people aren't gonna like, and he's just like all oh, like that's the thing. Will Ferrell's performance in this movie is incredible because he he really encapsulates a a human that has been stuck in a state of arrested development as John Favreau says as the doctor later on in the movie as a child like he is a human being of of adult age who is acting like a 10 year old and in that moment when he's like afraid to say how many he how many sketch sketches he's done there's such shame in in what he's about to say before he says it it's great one one of the things Favreau said, <clears throat> and I thought it was really interesting, something we do, often don't think about, is that for less well-known actors, you know, they come in and they do an audition and they do a callback and they do a producer read and they might do a, you know, a screen test and stuff like that. So you've really seen how that person is going to approach the part. Right. 
famous actors, they don't audition. Right. They get an offer. They say, well, we want Will Ferrell to do this movie. And Will Ferrell asks for a certain amount of money or a certain kind of deal. And they make an agreement. And now he's on the set. And Fav what Favreau was worried about, because Will Ferrell's so funny. Mm -hmm. But he had never seen him play anything sincere. Mm. And he was worried that he would always be going too hard for the joke. And very soon he realized, no, no, Will Ferrell is hitting just... I mean, he's still really funny. Right. But never to violate the character, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's always really sweet. And I love that he's made 85 and he's, oh, that puts you 950 off pace. <laughs> Why don't you just say it? I'm the worst toy maker in the world. I'm a cotton-headed ninny muggins. <gasps> <gasps> and they all are very supportive. No, buddy, you're not a cotton-headed ninny muggins. We all just have different talents, that's all. Seems like everyone else has the same talents except for me. You have you have lots of talents, uh, special talents, in fact. Like, um... and then it's the look to yeah. the other elves. Like, yeah. come on, help me out. What and they come up with he changed the batteries in the smoke detector. When they say special, though, the look on his face, right? He knows immediately that they're lying to him or trying to make him feel better. Here's one of the great changes that John Favreau made: is originally all the elves made fun of him. Oh, which makes perfect sense because that's Rudolph, you know, right, right? You know, they called him nay. They wouldn't let him play the reindeer games. And Favreau knew that was wrong, is yeah. that he went, if we do that, then it makes the North Pole not a wonderful, perfect place. Mm. And then it makes and then it makes the character of Buddy kind of an idiot. Yeah. You know, as opposed to, no, it really is an amazing, wonderful place. And therefore, Buddy is right. Mm -hmm. He's naive, but he's correct. Right. You know. I think that's that is and here's the thing about John Favreau and I think we've really seen it is uh, it, I was trying to figure out how to express it is like Stanley Kubrick is a genius and he has a vision and he is mm. following that vision and maybe you're going to like that vision and maybe you're not and maybe it's going to go in difficult or complicated directions but that's what he's doing. Mm -hmm. John Favreau knows what is necessary. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he's one of these populist filmmakers that still has artistry within yeah. the populist mainstream stuff he works on. He has made Star Wars work. He made Elf work. He's made, he built the MCU, as, in essence, with Iron Man, at least the foundation for it. Yeah. So he understands what he's creating. When he, even The Lion King, as you said, $1.6 billion is nothing to sneeze at. And so he was able to do what needed to be done for that movie. He is an artist in a certain way, but he's a mainstream artist uh, and not a just a you know, he's not, what do you call this? He's not one of those, like, you know, cook paint by numbers type of directors. He's no. a director who understands what, uh, what franchise he's working within and how to bring out the best of the spirit of the franchise for people to appreciate and enjoy. Well, and, and you think about what a filmmaker in those realms has to do is you have to navigate super complicated stuff. Yeah. I mean, you think about Star Wars fans and mm -hmm. Disney and Lucas and all these different people that have opinions. Yeah. And how and we've seen with all the other Star Wars properties how hard that is to do. I mean, yeah. you have super talented people like JJ, you know, you have all these people trying to make it work that don't, and Favreau is able to walk the tightrope yeah. and figure out, no, no, this is what 
everyone's going to want. Right. Um, yeah, he's he's great. I I I have and I also I also just love like I love the chef show because I love to cook. Mm-hmm. I love Dinner for Five. I thought yeah. that was a great great yeah. show. Yeah. Like I I I just really uh, and he's also one of these directors. Okay, from what I can tell, is a nice guy. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So we go to um, they find him the special work that elves <laughs> can do, and it is testing the Jack in the Boxes. Oh. <laughs> That's a great sequence. And then you get the great spin, spin, spin. It doesn't pop. Oh, this one must be. <laughs> By the way, the way they did this is Favreau had a remote control. <laughs> so Will Ferrell really didn't know when they were going to pop. And sometimes he would have it happen really fast. And sometimes it happened really slow. <laughs> uh, one of the things that Favreau knew right away is that Will Ferrell so great at physical stuff is that you just create a physical situation mm. and then let him go. Is that and so it was always about like setting up a situation where he could do things, and it's totally reminded. Have I told you the Lucille Ball um, put me on a ladder? Oh no, no. So Lucille Ball, obviously one of the great comedians of all time, and whenever the writers would get in trouble, they couldn't figure out what to do for the next episode or the next scene or how to make it funny. Lucille Ball would say, "Put me on a ladder," which mm. meant give me something physical to do. Hmm. Give me a phys- I will find the funny if you have a conveyor belt with chocolates or you have me drink alcoholic uh, medicine <laughs> or whatever it is. Put me on a ladder, and I think Will Ferrell is the same thing. Yeah, put him on a ladder. He will make it funny. Give hmm. him, put him in a situation. Quick thinking yesterday with that special talents thing. I feel bad for the guy. Just hope he doesn't get wise. And there's Will Ferrell overhearing this. Mm-hmm. He hasn't figured out he's a human by now. I don't think he ever will. <laughs> and then we go into the he falls back and goes into this flashback of of buddy in this small world particularly will ferrell in the shower mm. it's he's just so funny <laughs> this, this the the moving of the water into i mean that's just so funny but it's you know what's great too is is it shows you in a subconscious way or in a subtle way how this guy is determined to accomplish his tasks when he sets his mind to do them. Even something as simple as having a shower every morning and a small ass shower for a human being to be in, he's going to find a way to clean himself. And and all these other things that he's doing, he's going to find a way uh, to make it happen and he's determined to make it happen. And when he can't do it, that's when he uh, goes into this crisis of confidence. I also love the shot of him playing basketball and like jamming the ball and like dunking on all the elves. That's just genius. <laughs> and the class picture. Yeah. Um, and then he, you know, he runs out of the room. He runs into his house. He's knocking down doors and things, sits down on the tiny toilet. <laughs> and dad, Papa shows up, Bob Newhart, and he's sitting on his lap. And again, this is kids' feet, Bob yeah. Newhart way in the background. Uh, this felt, obviously, this felt like a teen wolf moment. When Michael J. Fox opens the door, he's become the Teen Wolf, and his dad's standing there fully as a wolf man. He says, "I think we need to talk." And this, was, this is what we feel. It feels like this moment here. I haven't seen Teen Wolf in so long. Oh, it's my favorite moment of the movie. <laughs> it's my memory is it's a perfectly funny '80s Michael J. Fox movie. Yes, yes. It's not not appearing on the cinephiles anytime soon. <laughs> no, no. I then proceeded to tell Buddy of how his father had fallen in love when he was very young with a beautiful girl named Susan Wells and how Buddy was born and put up for adoption. I don't quite understand how they 
figured out the backstory because the mm. baby just crawled into the sack. How did they even He's, know where this kid came from? Hey, Santa, man. You know, Santa's right. got magic powers. And they said, we even know where your dad is. And we hold up this uh, snow globe, you know, above New York City. And he's at the Empire State Building. Yeah. And, of course, the snow globe that Bob Newhart is holding is huge. And when it gets handed to Buddy, it's tiny. Yeah. He runs outside, sees some little stop motion characters, and then runs into the stop motion snowman, which obviously is a reference to Rudolph yep. and to all those other shows. And that is uh, Leon Redbone. Yeah, the great Leon Redbone. Which is so the- funny because Leon is like, a, he was on SNL in the 70s a couple of times. And, you know, he's an unusual New Orleans, I think he's a New Orleans uh, uh, musician. And his yeah. style of singing is is very uh, it's it's rare to see to cross over to a mainstream. Well, and it's 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 on Saturday Night Live. That's where John Favreau saw him, and that's oh, why he's in this. Yeah, is that he? And it's so funny because I remember him from Saturday Night Live in yeah. those days. He clearly made this powerful uh, impression. He's a unique looking um, guy. Yeah, yeah, with a really interesting voice. Yes. And uh, this is where we come up with the idea that I'm going to go to New York and visit my dad. I've been to New York thousands of times. Really? What's it like? First off, you see gum on the street, leave it there. It's not free candy. <laughs> my, my favorite line for Santa is, there are like 30 raised pizzas. They all claim to be the original, but the real one's on 11th. <laughs> that is such a New York joke. And uh, I think uh, my understanding is the, the Rays, original Rays, is in fact the one on 11. That is my understanding. <laughs> Can't wait to see my dad. We're, we're going to go ice skating and eat sugar plums. And Santa says, that's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> you know, buddy, your father, he's on the naughty list. <gasps> no! Oh, my God. The reaction <laughs> is so perfect. Because it's so immediate and it's so extreme because you know what that means, right? There isn't that delayed reaction. It's immediate, you know, and I love it. He runs out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and the camera like zooms over to the actual book yeah. list. And then we cut to James Kahn, who is oh. confiscating, repoing some books from a nun yeah. from some children's books. Yeah. Because they can't um, pay because the, mon- the, the monastery couldn't pay for the books. Oh, terrible. It's just business, John. Yeah. It's business. Like, you know, uh, I see what you're trying to you're trying to make me feel bad, uh, but I'm not going to feel bad. <laughs> Maybe all they need is just a little Christmas spirit. Yeah! I'm good at that. I know you are. He gives dad a hug, which, of course, is Bob Newhart hugging a giant, a really huge person and uh, Buddy uh, hugging a little kid. <laughs> That's great. I love all that stuff. And yeah. I love that they chose to do it all practically. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we head out and he says goodbye to some of the stop motion characters. And oh, then gosh. and then yes. he jumps on a ice flow and up comes the narwhal. <laughs> goodbye, buddy. Good luck finding your dad. <laughs> and that is John Favreau's voice. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I think some of the other um, stop motion people are John Favreau too. I'm not sure which ones. Uh, the walrus, I think, if I'm correct, is uh, the gentleman from Pinky and the Brain. Not mm. uh, not Rob. The uh, Maurice LaMarche. I think Maurice LaMarche mm. is one of the characters there too. Um, and now we go on our journey through the Candyland forest or the Candy Cane forest. And then, you know, he's out in the woods and then there's a shot of like him on a glacier, which That's is awesome. 
Some how, very cold stuntman in how, tights. How did they do that? Did they actually go to an area? Like, is it Big Bear? Is it actual? Like, where do they go? I would love to know. I don't know where that. it is, but that is an actual glacier and wow. a stuntman on it. You know, they send Jesus. second units. So they send four guys out there, you know, yeah, to go do so. it. Poor guy. Um, <laughs> it's freezing. <laughs> I know. Um, well, that's one of the things that apparently bu- elves are resistant to cold, and apparently yep. Buddy has learned to live on only forty minutes of sleep a night and doesn't get cold. And I mean, he's pretty impressive. He's an impressive specimen, true. Yeah, for a human. Uh, yeah, for a human. And he's walking on a path through the woods. Most of this was shot in uh, British Columbia, a lot in Vancouver. And there's a raccoon. Hey, what's your name? My name's Buddy. <laughs> It's a puppet that hisses and then attacks. He goes to hug him and attacks him. I love I love the last shot. You see the tail wave by. It's just they literally got a raccoon hat. And there's a guy off camera just <laughs> waving the tail off the hat. That's brilliant. Then he's, you know, walking on a road. And then he's against the wall in the Lincoln Tunnel. <laughs> which was really shot in the Lincoln Tunnel. Uh, yeah, there's no way they didn't shoot some of these scenes in New York and just let it be like whoever's around is around. Yeah, I mean, it's because it's well, that's they wanted as many of the exteriors as they possibly could be in yeah. New York. Yeah, because New York's New York. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, they started shooting on in December of 2002, which means that it's just a little more than a year after 9-11. Wow. And so there was a lot of, you know, New York was, mm-hmm. there's a, they weren't just embracing coming and film here, particularly at the Empire State Building. Mm-hmm. And they really did film at the Empire State Building. And that was a, you know, a highly guarded space in yeah. 2002. Yeah. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old. And this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad, and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yeah, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Um, and the music, by the way, it's Pennies from Heaven, Louis Prima. Yeah. It's just perfect. And every time it rains, it rains. Pennies from Heaven. The studio, I think it's the studio, did not want Louis Prima. They wanted a modern song mm. because they're, you know, they want to sell records. Right. And this sounds like one Jean Favreau really fought on, and he's totally, totally right. I love this whole montage. Yep. I love, he sees the sign for world's best copy. <laughs> You did it! Congratulations! Um, and they're all just the, staring at him. Playing hopscotch on the crosswalk. <laughs> um, sees a guy in red uh, and thinks it's Santa. And that actually was an extra. Like, they didn't... Like, that wasn't really? a... Yeah, that was not a person that they had uh, filmed or told was going to happen. He happened to be wearing all red with the beard. Uh, maybe in a way to kind of play like he looks like Santa. And they had Will Ferrell run up on him and shoot that which was really did they funny. did the guy know that no. he was oh that's um, that's amazing so the reaction you get there is authentic from that guy um he's there's guys handing out flyers and he keeps oh, coming back and getting the flyers and one get of those guys is adam mckay oh really <laughs> yeah the guy on the right i think is adam mckay yeah i think so i one of the ones i love is the guy waving for a taxi and he's just waving at him like hi hi <laughs> will uh, ferrell is so funny yeah he he's one of those people that I don't even always understand what he's doing. That's funny. Mm -hmm. It's just he's funny. Like it's just yeah. the, his the way his facial expression is, and part of him is, that makes him so funny is just one hundred percent sincerity. Yeah, you know that's what it is. The sincerity yeah. and dedication to the part. Yeah. Uh, he sees the Empire State Building and goes into the elevator. We're now back on a set, and the elevator has all the buttons for all the floors which no elevator in the empire state building has a hundred buttons <laughs> and he pushes one it lights up and then you just oh. there's another you and you know what's about to happen yeah. there's another guy in the elevator i he, find the choice re really interesting that the guy doesn't do anything i think he does a great job that guy you know why because he lives in new york and he knows there's crazy motherfuckers everywhere you go in New York. And so why wouldn't a guy dressed in an elf costume be in an <laughs> elevator in New York hitting all the buttons? And he's like, I've learned not to engage with the crazy people because you never know if they'll kill you or whatever. So he just kind of kind of deals with it and rolls with it. It's so perfect New York reaction. Well, and the, I totally agree. The other thing I find funny about it, he doesn't get off the elevator. No, he doesn't. Is that it's stopping it. Even in my senses, even after Buddy gets off, he just stops yeah. on every floor because right, he hates his job. Probably that's no what rush I was, to get there. That is exactly the thought I had. It's like, well, better better than going to work. I've got my excuse. <laughs> um, and he shows up at the office of his dad, and there is Amy Sedaris oh. improvising some stuff about kittens. So great. Oh, <laughs> and, and and of course she's in Mandalorian. Yes, she is. Oh, great point. Yes, that's right. She is. She's great Mandalorian too. Um, how many kittens? I did, I've never declawed kittens before. <laughs> All right, no, I'm not going to charge you. <laughs> uh, apparently, apparently, she every take she did a different thing. Of course, she's a yeah. genius, and she's all excited. She thinks it's like some sort of singing telegram kind yeah. of thing, and says so it, it tells James Con that, and in comes Buddy, Dad. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing. The first thing he walks in, he says, Dad, and the, it, Favreau frames the shot interestingly because it's Con with his hands in his pocket, and he swings to his right almost immediately to look at what strange thing that just said dad to him in the middle of his uh, office. It's very interesting. I walked all day and night to find you. Uh, you look like you came from the North Pole. 
That's exactly where I came from. <laughs> Santa must have called you. Oh, yeah. I just uh, got off the phone with him. Yeah, he said you were coming. <laughs> he did? <laughs> so good, man. So, go on. Go on with what? Well, I, are you going to sing a song or something, or can I just go back to work? And, of course, this is all Will Ferrell improvising oh. songs. So great. I'm here with my dad, and we never met, and he wants me to sing him a song. <laughs> and it's so perfectly awkward and yeah. sincere and sad. I found you, Daddy. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> and, and James Conner at first is just like, well, this is some weird thing. I don't know what this is. Yeah. And then he says, Susan Wells had me and, and she didn't tell you. And, 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 but now I'm here. It's me, buddy. And suddenly there's a reaction. Yep. Completely different reaction. Yep. Yeah. And that's when he calls security. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things Favreau said that I think is also really smart is he didn't in general cast comedians, you know, mm -hmm. for the main characters. He wanted really grounded actors. Yeah. Because he didn't want people competing and trying to be funny with Will Ferrell. And again, the thing he was, he wasn't worried about the movie being funny. Right. He was worried about the sincerity. He was worried about the emotional content of the movie. Right. And so he wanted real people. And that's why James Caan is just perfect, mm -hmm. perfect casting. It, it, it's funny, too, because we just did a James Caan movie much, much earlier oh, yeah. in his career. <laughs> we song. did Brian. Yeah, Brian's song. Yeah, and right. the character of Brian Piccolo couldn't be farther from this guy. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, the security guys are dragging him out. One of them, by the way, is Will Ferrell's brother. Oh, that's great. And, yeah, why don't you go back to Gimbals? Which, of course, you know, is a miracle on 34th Street. Right. You reference. And there is Gimbals, which hadn't existed for 30 years when this movie was made. <laughs> Passion fruit spray? Fruit spray? Sure. Action. <laughs> Just running away. So another, another like physical bit is the escalator. I feel like we all have had that moment the first time we got on an escalator. <laughs> I'm right? Sure. I mean, as a kid, I mean, like the first time you're like, what? The, this thing moves on its own? Like, uh, you know, the fear of getting caught up in it or whatever. No, so. definitely. And with right? Jax, I mean, I remember oh. like he would free, he would step on and then, or like put one foot on and freeze. Yeah. Or he would step on and step off and there are people behind us. I'm like, dude, you got to just right. step on. You're okay. Um, that's yeah. why it's such a genius moment because it's like he's a, he's still a kid in his mind yep. even though he's an adult in his body and so for him to have that scene makes so much sense <laughs> he goes to the bathroom hey have you seen these toilets they're ginormous <laughs> can you imagine if you had spent your entire life on a tiny little toilet I'd like to not imagine that <laughs> it's a lot of flushing I'll tell you that <laughs> well and just like well, I, I won't go into what issues yeah, might right. happen, but it seems hard. I'm just saying a lot up, of yellow snow on my end. But go ahead, yeah. There would be a lot of yellow snow. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be going to the bathroom. Oh, ends up in the lingerie department and sees something for some special someone, which is Christmas-themed lingerie that'll come back. And there is Faze on Love. You know, you down here? You shop when you break. You don't come, you don't come upstairs. He is an un... Um, 
recognized hero of this movie. I think Faison Love is so essential to make this movie work, and he's so good in it, you know. And it's a it's a shame sometimes when people forget how some of these comedic character actors can come into these movies and really provide good foundation for a lot of the humor to bounce off of. This is the North Pole. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Where's the snow? Will Ferrell gets just this craziest smile, which is where he's just so funny. Yeah. I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. And then uh, and then Faison Love gets up and makes the announcement. Tomorrow, 10 a.m., Santa's coming. Santa! I know him! <laughs> and once again, Faison just kind of looks at him all like, okay, and keeps going with the announcements. It's, it's all the reaction shots that just mm-hmm. make it, you know, that's a lot of comedy. Oh, yeah. Is how do, and it, it's so funny, it's like this goes into the category of there's one we're, uh, one crazy person in the real world and then how the real world reacts to it. And they can't fully react the way they actually would, which is yeah. to, have, you know, just put this guy away. Right. Um, it's just all those little, oh, that's weird. <laughs> and then he sees uh, Zoe Deschanel on yeah. uh, Lighting the Christmas Tree. Jovi. Are you enjoying the view? <laughs> because she's in New York and she's used to men yeah. being jerks. Yeah. You know, ogling her, yeah. Why are you messing with me? Did Krampa put you up to this? I'm not messing with you. It's just nice to meet another human who shares my affinity for elf culture. And she goes, please stop talking. He says, <laughs> uh-oh, sounds like someone needs to sing a Christmas carol. <laughs> Best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Thanks, but I don't sing. Oh, it's easy. It's just like talking, except louder and longer, and you move your voice up and down. <laughs> she corrects. I can sing, but I choose not to, especially in front of other people. And then, well, singing in front of other people is the same. And then he just makes up another ridiculous song. <laughs> I'm singing. I'm in a store, and I'm singing. And we hear that uh, Gimbal's is closing in 10 minutes, and somehow he manages to stay in the store after <laughs> after it closes. Somehow he manages to avoid security. Yep. And now we get the montage of him prepping for Santa's arrival. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, a really cool version of Nutcracker Suite by Brian Setzer. Oh, nice, yeah. And we see, you know, doing stuff with Legos and Light Brights and Etch-a-Sketches and streamers and, you know, cutting out things out of paper. Um, and then we cut to the James Conn family. I'm going to eat in the bedroom, okay? I, uh, I got a bunch of stuff to go over. But what I like about the scene, the scene is 30 seconds long. Yeah. And you know everything you need to know about this family. Yep. The family dynamic is laid out yep. for you right there. Michael is Michael and the mom carry, have, a, have a connection, strong connection. He's making fun. He makes fun of his dad because, you know, he's like, just got a lot of work to do. You know, he's making fun of his dad, but it isn't mean spirited. Right. It's more in a way of like, you know. Uh, almost kind of quietly, I want to spend time with him, and he doesn't want to spend time with me. Well, you know? it, it, this is one of the one of the weird things I think about movies is James Conn is clearly a terrible person. Yes, true, and a terrible father. I mean, we met him taking books from nuns, right? Like he's just awful. And now he's it's it's not just that he he heard this thing about uh, this girl he dated, and maybe this is his kid, which mm-hmm. is true because the next thing we see of him, he's like looking through the yearbook, yeah. and looking at the picture. But it's clear that he did th- does this all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's a weird thing in movies where it's like, why the hell is Mary Steenburgen with this guy? Mm-hmm. I mean, if this was his behavior, 
then at a certain point, she's a bad mom if she's not dealing with, you know what I mean? Yeah, I but guess. But it's okay because it's a movie. Well, I also think if we all were to watch each other's relationships, we might be like, why are you still with that person? It's Fair. all perspective and subjective and what you can put up with versus what the other person can put up with. And how many people 30 years into a marriage want to go like, oh, I saw change horses midstream. You know, it's just some people just stick around because fuck it, they're there. No, everything, everything you said is the truth. <laughs> that, is, that, is the, that is the truth. It's the morning. All the decorations are amazing. And he, and he hears a beautiful singing voice. Yeah. Follows the voice into the ladies' locker room. And there is Jovi singing Baby It's Cold Outside. So really I'd better scurry. Well, maybe just a half a drink more. Which she will do on the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and this none this whole singing thing wasn't in the movie. It's not in the script. Right? It wasn't they, in the original script. They didn't know. Uh, Favreau didn't know Zoe Deschanel could sing, and so it wasn't. And then just by happenstance, I don't know how he found out, but she could sing, and so he put these things in the movie where she sings. Well, and she has such an old school yes. voice and style, and it's perfect for this song. Mm-hmm. And we have Will Ferrell like sitting on the counter next to the sinks. <laughs> singing the man's part in a soft voice. I wish I knew how to break the spell. And it's great because it goes on a long time and you know that this is not going to end well. Baby, it's cold outside. She stops singing, peeks out. And he covers his face and runs directly into the locker. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to Buddy is sleeping in the window of the store. And who walks by but his dad? Yep. And Buddy wakes up and tries to talk to him. And dad is out of there. <laughs> uh, now he's walking with a, a, a Christmas present uh, that he's trying to give to his dad. And he thinks he can get past security. He cannot. But he does give them the present. Oh, you guys are so strong. <laughs> um, I love We're, we're back at the store and people are reacting to this, to all the new decorations, mm. which are pretty amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. He's built an entire Lego city. He's done the Mona Lisa on the Etch-A-Sketch. <laughs> By the way, I cannot figure out an Etch-A-Sketch. Like, people who have can actually draw a real thing, that is amazing to me. It is amazing. I, I, I'm lucky if I could draw a box. <laughs> That's my skill level. How come you were in the women's locker room this morning? I heard you singing. You sure it had nothing to do with the fact that I was naked in the shower? I didn't know you were naked. Why were you here so early? They shut my water off. What were you doing here so early? Building this. I think this scene is critical because... Yeah. She should have him arrested. You know right, what I mean? Right, like, right. Or, or at least be extremely angry. Yeah. But his, I heard you singing, and the fact that he built all this, she's, I think she senses that that's the truth. You yeah, know? right. Exactly. And it's perfect because it shows you that there's an innocence to this guy, a naivete to this guy, because you're right. Honestly, him coming like that's that's essentially, you know, like a violation of someone's personal space. Of you know, uh, but she senses that there's a genuineness to him in that exchange. And I think you're right. It is critical because this is where we start the process of this relationship coming together. Uh, and, and this is kind of a mini 
uh, on, uh, she's starting to accept him for how for how he is. Yeah. Well, well, it's like in classic romantic comedy structure, there's going to be a lot of things to overcome. Yeah. For the couple to succeed. Right. And in this, this is not that because this is basically they're going to like each other. Yeah. You know, mm. and up comes face on love because he thinks this is a corporate plot to get him fired. It's good. It's almost too good. Someone's gunning for my job. If you get wind of anything, call me on my radio. Channel three. Code word is Santa's got a brand new bag. Okay. <laughs> Faison came up with a different one every single time. A different oh, that's cohort. hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. And then Santa shows up. Wow. So you say. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, it's Artie Lang. Oh, Artie Lang. From Howard Stern. And that is inspired casting. Yeah. Just cast the worst, the, the person who should never be Santa. Who the heck are you? What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Again, there's lots of improv. All of Will, Will Ferrell's little lines are, are improv. You sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> you smell of, what is it? You smell of meat and cheese. Be, yeah, beef and cheese. Beef and cheese, yeah. So there's a thing I know we talked about it when we did Anchorman. It's called Linorama. And that's what mm. this is. Linorama mm. is basically, there's something in the script, and they'll do what's in the script. And then with a guy like Will Ferrell, it's like, well, do the same basic beat. You're not Santa say something insulting mm -hmm. and they'll do 15 takes of just different stuff and wow. pick the funniest one. And then he pulls off the beard. The kids scream. Uh, Artie Lang attacks him. They crash through the Legos. He picks up like a you know metal pole and swinging it at him um, until finally Faison tackles Santa. The way they dress Faison is so perfect. I mean, the tucked in sweater, uh, the the colors, are, and also the high water pants. The high water pants are just perfect. So when you see them as he jumps on top of Artie Lang. Uh, to stop him from uh, hitting Will Ferrell with the steel pole, the, those uh, high waters come up on his ankles, and it's just a great, a great like subconscious message of what this whole dude's life is, you know. And so it's perfect. One of, one of the things I think is so interesting about this movie is that it goes through various tropes of other Christmas films because mm. I think if you haven't seen this, there's this moment where you're like, oh, we're it's Miracle on 34th Street. You know, yeah. it's like he's a gimbals. He's the real elf. He's actually the real deal. And he's going to transform phase right. on love. And he's going to, you know, but it's like, no, he's going to jail. <laughs> That's not what's going to happen at all. Uh, get to James Caan opening the gift. And it's the Santa lingerie because it was for someone special. <laughs> and then Amy Sedaris is walking in. Oh, <laughs> and then we cut to jail and there's and he's in the big holding sail. There's oh some dudes God. doing pull ups. Um by the way, anytime you see a shot with that, that kind of thing with guys like doing pull-ups or push-ups, mm. you have to remember we have no idea how many takes they had to do of this. Oh, yeah, you're right. Good point. So yeah. those guys had to do pull-ups for hours. Maybe, yeah. You know? And, and it's like if it's eight or nine pull-ups or ten pull-ups in every take, by take 12, you've done a lot of pull-ups. Yeah. Uh, and there's James Caan at the cell. And they're walking out and I said, I knew you would come. Just who the heck are you and what is your problem? I, I'm Buddy. I'm your son. Where'd you get this picture? Papa Elf gave it to me. Watch James Conn's reaction to Papa Elf gave it to me. Because <laughs> he's completely blank. This <laughs> is some kind of game. What do you want, some money? No. I just wanted to meet you and I thought you might want to meet me. And I love when they're exiting through the security, through the metal detector, that he reaches to take his hand and just slaps it away. <laughs> slaps it away. <laughs>
And now we get to meet Dr. Favreau. Yeah. <laughs> by, by the way, John Favreau says that the dailies from this scene made him go on a diet. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you struggle with your weight, seeing yourself on camera yeah. sure can make you make my, changes. My, it's 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 100% true. Um my my favorite line of this of all time was on Friends when cuz they had, you know, Monica in the fat suit. Oh yeah, fat Monica, yeah. And they had uh like old home video, they were watching home video and and people are kind of reacting to seeing her on the fat suit. <laughs> Shut up. The camera adds 10 pounds. Uh, so how many cameras are actually on you? <laughs> That's like a perfect joke to me. It is. It is. Anyway, the, the this is all one shot. He's eating cotton balls, by the way. Yeah. Um, and it's all one shot. And just the timing of the jokes is so perfect in this scene. Hey, can I listen to your necklace? No, you can't. And, can you just sit still? Why is there a I don't know what Walter. Could you please? Like could you please have him sit Does still so I can do this? No, he hasn't got a name. I'm sorry, man. I'm just waiting. Please sit still. Please. He got mad at me. Yes, he did. Once again, he really encapsulates a young child inside yeah. the man's body, and it's so believable. It's not in any way, shape. It doesn't feel like it's put on or a caricature. It feels very real. All the body, physical movements, all the emotional react. Him turning to. James Kahn being distracted by his dad. And then when he pricks him with that needle, that reaction is just so perfect. So here, so here's how things happen on a set. So the they've done several takes because it's all one shot. And for mm -hmm. one shot, everything has to be perfect. Every timing, every piece of line, everywhere people's bodies are for camera, all has to be perfect. So they've done several takes. The DP, the director of photography, had the idea of the silent screen. Mm. Now... In general, the rules are nobody talks to the actors but director. I mean, yes, right. sometimes the DP might wait. Can you move your shoulder a little to the right or something like that for the shot? But in general, no one should be giving you direction. If you're acting on my set, I'm the only one who should be giving you acting direction. You don't want some, you know, producer to walk up and give you a direction. That is yeah, that's very rude and it's very destructive to the set. So the DP goes to John Favreau and said, Hey, I think it might be funny to silent scream. Favreau goes, that's a great idea. So he, but he doesn't give uh, Will Ferrell just the direction on the set. He pulls him aside. Mm. Why? Because they didn't tell James Kahn. Oh. <laughs> so if you watch James Kahn, this is the take seven or whatever, is the first time they do the silent scream. He totally breaks. He turns away from camera <laughs> just to deal with that moment. And then they cut out of the scene. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Um, later, later on, uh, he's with the little girl. She wants a Susie talks a lot doll. Yeah. Susie talks a lot doll. I'll put in a good word with the big man. Thanks. Your costume is pretty. Oh, it's not a costume. I'm an elf. Well, technically I'm a human, but I was raised by elves. Oh, I'm a human. Raised by humans. She's so cute. Yeah. And she's great. That little yeah, girl. She's great. Great. And then eats the cotton ball. <laughs> and her little smile at him yeah. eating the cotton balls. It's great. So, it's a boy. But he's your son. Apparently, this scene was much longer. Oh, yeah? Okay. And they went, it's all exposition. We don't, all we need to know is, but he's your son. And the doctor kind of going, I think he's in a sh state of shock and he's reverted to some kind of childlike dependency. Mm. He says, you just nurture him, then it'll all probably be okay and it'll, it'll all go away. So, take him home to your wife and kid. I think this is terrible advice from a doctor. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's a doctor. Why are you listening to a pediatrician, Nova? 
It's like you did a blood. This guy is clearly deranged. Yeah, right. <laughs> severe mental problems. Bring him around your wife. Bring him around your family. <laughs> Take him home. It'll be fine. I'm sure oh. it'll be fine. Oh, New York. <laughs> but but that is in fact what they do. God, Walter, this is this is wonderful. You you have another son. Which I think she's handling this really well. Yes, Mary Steenburgen. Yes. He thinks he's an elf. I'm sorry. What? He thinks. He's a Christmas elf. Oh, come on, Mother. I'm sure he doesn't actually think he's an elf. And they open the door, and then we see all the Christmas decorations. <laughs> and then I traveled to the seven levels of the candy cane forest, past the sea of swirly, twirly gumdrops, and then I walked through the Lincoln Tunnel. And then he chugs an entire two-liter bottle of Coke, <laughs> uh, which he has a, there's a pipe next to him next to on the right side of his face yeah and that's where all that coke is going that's incredible what he did yeah can you pass the maple syrup please it's spaghetti it's just, he's just so there's so many things where i just wrote down so funny yeah he's so funny you like sugar huh is there sugar and syrup yes then yes we elves try to stick to the four main food groups candy candy canes candy corns and syrup <laughs> And then they ask, well, we, you know, how long can you stay? And he's like, well, I hadn't really planned it out, but I was thinking forever. Are you crazy? He cannot stay here. Clearly, he has some serious issues. We can't just throw him out in the snow. Why not? He loves the snow. He's told me 15 times. Cut to <laughs> jo the world's longest burp. Yep. By the way, that's a real burp guy. You hire the burp guy. Whoa. Yeah. And wow. some guy can burp that long. Yeah, what is? I wonder what he charges. Jesus, Dad, Dad, Dad. What? I can't go to sleep unless I get tucked in. I love James Conn's tucking, his reluctant tucking. <laughs> and, the, and the scene ends with, "I love you." Okay. Uh, it's the next morning, and he's made breakfast, spaghetti with syrup. Great acting of eating the breakfast, of how you react to that. Walter, hmm? Buddy has made us breakfast. Isn't that nice? Mm. <laughs> What's so perfect about her acting is she's tell the beat work is yeah. Be nice to him. Eat the breakfast. You know you could it's very very clear. And Buddy again, he's like you know has a whole plan: snow angels and ice skating and cookie dough, and then we'll snuggle. And he's like, well, I got to go to work. Mm-hmm. The end of the scene is, well, if you're going to stay here, get rid of the costume. You know, lose the tights as soon as possible. As soon as possible? <laughs> and he drops trowel as, <laughs> as Mary Steenburgen walks in. Uh, and you hear the scream uh, echo in New York. <laughs> he immediately calls him on a cell number. This, by the way, this scene is the first scene they shot in the movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, um, funny. And, and then you cut to him. And again, this is the just give him a physical situation where he makes himself some food and he's got spaghetti and Pop-Tarts and syrup and candy and <laughs> hilarious. Also, Will Ferrell has a bucket next to him on the set because yeah. you, can't, you can't just keep eating this stuff. Yeah. So as horrible a person as James Com seems to be, his boss, Michael Lerner, seems worse. That friggin' puppy and pigeon are tanking hard hops. My people estimate we're going to post a minus eight for this quarter. Minus eight! But he's also a guy who called 
uh, James Conn out on his mistake of not yes. including the pages in the book. You know, my my uh, niece or my whatever he yeah. says came up and they were complaining because they don't know what happens. And so Khan tried to write it off or blame it on other people. And Lerner's like, no, you did this. We need a new book for the first quarter. I'm going to be back in town on the 24th, Christmas Eve, and I want to see hear your pitch then. So now your ass is on the line on the 24th and blah, blah, blah. So interesting moment. But what's, what's it? So here's what um, John Favreau said that mm-hmm. I like a lot. He said Christmas movies are about spirit winning over cynicism. Yeah. And I think that is like an amazingly accurate statement. Yeah. I never thought about that way, but it's like, you know, you go to the Christmas Carol, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. It's Scrooge becoming, you know, ha- ha- gaining Christmas spirit over cynicism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you have Miracle on 34th Street. The, yep. the whole plot is getting, is Maureen O'Hara, is that who it is? Yeah, Maureen O'Hara. Yeah, getting her to believe in Christmas. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life is a battle between spirit and cynicism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I was like, oh, this is really, this is the key. Yeah. And so Michael Lerner and James Caan are the cynicism and yeah. spirit must win out over them. Yeah. And it's also what, uh, what is Santa says that uh, powers this sleigh. And even though you've got the, whatever it is, the Kringle 3000 or whatever it is, it's still the, <laughs> it's still the Christmas spirit. That is the thing that yep. powers the sleigh because without it, it doesn't work. And that's a symbolism for Christmas overall. Michael's getting out of school. There's Buddy. He's not happy to see him. (laughs) (laughs) He chases after him, you know, is talking to him. Apparently, he just waited outside the school for five hours. I love the line. So, good news. I saw a dog today. Have you seen a dog? (laughs) And then they get hit with snowballs. Well, just after Michael tells him to get away from him, Michael tells him, leave me alone. And then, boom, he's hit by a snowball. And they're hit by snowballs. And then all of a sudden, it's every man for himself in that moment. And they, they run for cover. And you saw five or six kids throwing snowballs at them. But when they run for cover, it's yeah. hundreds of snowballs. <laughs> this is like World War II going on. You know what? If we can take them. Okay. Just start making as many snowballs as you can. And the camera pans with Michael as he puts together one snowball, pans back to Buddy, who now has 100 snowballs made. <laughs> and then he has snowball superpowers. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is one of the one of the few actual CGI effects is his arm. Oh, of course, I hope so. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and what they were thinking, by the way, is the Magnificent Seven. The music is sort of Magnificent oh. Seven ish, and the last one of of the kid that got away and he does that throw. They're they're referencing the James Coburn, you know, I was aiming oh. for the horse moment yeah. of Magnificent Seven. That's awesome. And then Michael is one over. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, he hated this guy. And now when he sees what a great snowball fighter he is, right. they're in. And we run into playing through gimbals. I love jumping on the beds. Yeah. The jumping on the beds is cool. I to- I still would do that. <laughs> that looks like total fun to me. I mean, I totally would have done it as a kid, but I'd still yeah. do it now. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'd, be, I'd be afraid I'd break an ankle jumping off. Fair. Uh. <laughs> or I'd be afraid I'd break the bed. Oh, yeah. And Buddy says, I wish dad was here because he's the greatest dad in the world. And Michael says, he's the worst dad in the world. All he does is work. Working's fun. Not the way he does it. All he cares about is money. He doesn't care about you or me or anybody. Man, that's a... (laughs) That's bad. It's a heavy load, man, yeah. 
it's a good thing in Christmas movies we can overcome these things very quickly <laughs> because otherwise in a more serious movie, this is a family in deep trouble. <laughs> um, and then we see Jovi, who he's staring at, and he says, I want to ask her out. Out? You want a date to eat food? Food? Yes, real food, not candy. And he introduces Jovi to the brother. So what are you doing here? Did Gimbals give you your job back? No. But things worked out pretty good. They gave me a restraining order. <laughs> uh, we see that Faison love is Santa. Yeah. And, and giving said, him a look. He gives him a yeah. look as soon as he sees him. Well, and he doesn't even really have the beard on. You know? No, He's... no. <laughs> um, it's because they throw it away. I, I think he ripped it off of you. Yeah. And, and you know, Buddy's sincerity is yeah. clearly persuasive. I really wanted to see you. And, and I think you're beautiful. And I um, feel really warm. When I am around you and um, my tongue swells up. And uh, Zoe is so cute because she kind of like puts the finger to her mouth mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, juts her body to the left a little bit, kind of contemplating what he said, because it's probably one of the most unusually authentic ways someone yep. has expressed interest in her in New York, of all places. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, she he's sincere. Yeah. Like the, it wins just, her over. Yeah. yeah. I just had my lunch break. Oh, okay. I understand. Then I'm free on Thursday. And I love that the kid just like gets him out. Yeah. <laughs> before yeah. he as can a mess good, it up. As a good wingman should. As yep. a good wingman should. Get him out as soon as you accomplish the yep. goal. Get out. Uh, they're putting up a Christmas tree, which apparently they chopped down in the park. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a Christmas vacation reference. Mm. Sure. Could be. Yeah. And well, it's certainly too big. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you're making such a big deal about. They were just having a little fun. Well, fun. So felonies are fun. I thought, see, felonies were felonies. <laughs> and then this is the key line. Okay, the tree thing was bad. I'll get him to plan another one. But at least Michael is happy for once. What? Uh, what's that supposed to mean? Well, I don't think it's any secret, Walter, that you haven't exactly been there for him. That is heavy. Again, mm -hmm. we're only throwing, there's like three or four of these lines. Mm -hmm. But they're big lines. And then we back with Michael and Buddy. How we get it the get the star on top? Because <laughs> I got it off camera. Switch to a stunt man who runs, leaps on the tree, and it falls down. On <laughs> well, I tell you what, I have an idea. Then why don't you take Buddy to work with you? He's your son, Walter. Cut to we're back at work, and Buddy's now in a suit. Yeah, camel hair coat, overcoat. I mean, you can get a lot of stuff in New York, but getting that suit for the next morning. It's pretty good. It's well, t it fits him very nice. He looks nice. He does look nice. And I love him just sort of imitating whatever his dad does. Morning, Jack. Morning, Jack. As a child would, right? As a child would, yeah. And then we're in the office. He's sitting on this pig chair. This scene was originally cut from the movie. Mm. All the stuff with the coffee and sitting on the chair and reading Pygmalion and saying the word Francisco. And the studio, because this particularly with comedies, the studio is always pressuring you, make it shorter, make it shorter. They yeah. want the movie to be an hour and a half because you get an extra uh, screening in the theaters mm. in a day. That makes sense. So they cut this scene out and then they just felt it's really key to the characters because this is the first moment where dad makes a joke and cares a little bit. He's yeah. still bothered yeah. by him, but it advances there. And so they, they put it back in. Originally, I think he just immediately sent him to the mailroom. Right. Um, which he does at the end of the scene and we go to the mailroom, which he said was like Santa's workshop. It's not like Santa's workshop, John. <laughs> not at all. 
Um, Santa sweatshop is what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> and now we are back with the boss and we have his two top guys pitching story ideas. <laughs> Andy Richter and Kyle Gass. Yep. Yep. I wonder if they wanted to get Jack Black as a tenacious D thing and maybe they didn't end up doing that. I, I wonder about that. What's funny is that, that we have a, a, a friend connection. I met Kyle right oh. around this time. Cool. It had to be like 2002 or 2003, I think. Right, right, right. Morris and I have been brainstorming, and we've come up with what I think is a pretty big idea. Great. What? You're going to love it. It's fantastic. What? We bring in Miles Finch. Miles Finch. Sold more books than Dr. Seuss. My two top writers, my crack team, my fun squad. You came in here pitching me the idea of hiring another writer. Yeah. I like it. Um, we're back in the mailroom and he finds the sucky tubes for the canisters. <laughs> Again, Will Ferrell's really funny. And the guy next to him. Oh. So how'd you get here? Work release. Apparently he auditioned for another part. Oh. That he didn't get, or I actually think that part got cut out of the movie, out of the script. Gotcha. But then Favreau remembered him and just thought he was really, really funny and brought him back. Um, and he's got syrup for his coffee, too, <laughs> in a little flask. Cut to oh the two God. of them lying down and <laughs> going, You know, I know I sound like a broken record, but we are buddies. You're my best friend. That's it. <laughs> And I love it. The guy says those things that everybody says in the mailroom. I got big ideas, man. I got big plans. This isn't where I'm going to end up. If they would just give me an opportunity, I bet I could wow them. The whole things you hear in the mailroom, which is really well, funny. And I love that he says, I'm 26 and I got nothing to show for it. <laughs> that guy's clearly not 26. No, in any way, shape, or form. And then yeah. he gets to have the... And what, this is what's so great is, I mean, he tickle fights with the guy. Yeah. Is that... The group of people that just embrace who Buddy is. Yeah. And, yeah. and and don't go this. Yeah. Tickle fights are fun. He's got that Christmas spirit that re brings the child, uh, in, the inner child out of people, uh, except for James Caan. Except for James Caan. Uh, Mr. Finch, uh, Eugene Dupree here. It's a thrill just to be talking to you on our speakerphone. Uh, Miles, um, so what do you think? Can you fly in tomorrow? And it is. A, a voice that is now pretty darn recognizable. Yeah, true. Because it's Peter Dinklage. I'll give you five hours tomorrow, not a minute more. And he has all sorts of requirements of exactly what he needs to to fly in. He's this kind of car and all this stuff. And cut to Buddy <laughs> dancing in the mailroom and everyone cheering. He's doing the Russian dancing thing. <laughs> I, I kind of would like to be attached to a wire so I could do all those Russian dance moves. <laughs> it's time for a date. Hmm. It's a great montage. Yeah. she's she. We've got You Make Me Feel So Young, Frank Sinatra. We got her blindfolded, drinking the world's greatest <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> Tastes like a crappy cup of coffee. It is a crappy cup it of coffee. It is a crappy cup of coffee, yeah. Him playing in the revolving door, showing her Christmas tree, shows her a really big Christmas tree, and you so know what's going to happen. Right, She right. says, come with me. And there's Rockefeller Center. Which is funny because it's like, well, this is actually where Will Ferrell worked for years. Yeah, yeah. So he's right outside oh, that's his right. office. Dirty Rock. What's great in this moment, too, when Will sees the tree, I think this is very interesting, Steve, because it could be a blink if you miss it and miss it moment. It's the first time that she has got through to him mm -hmm. and in yeah. a way that like he senses that she understands him. 
And he, just the look on his face when he sees the tree of one of awe, and he doesn't even overreact or make a big, he's just, oh, just kind of in awe of this because finally there's this one place, there's this one thing in this town that reminds him of home. I think that's so right. And you know what you made me think of is that the, so the Will Ferrell character is the person raised in the land of Santa Claus. Yeah. Where everyone is a believer and that is all true. And then he goes to the world where people don't believe. Right. And he's been told they don't believe. Yeah. Right. Jovi, what it just clicked really for me is mm. a person who is a believer inside. Right. But has had to turn that off because of the world that she lives in. Mm -hmm. And so now she's finally getting to be herself. Mm -hmm. because this guy is allowing that part of herself that she's pushed down the parts that said enjoying the view when we first met her yeah to be like embracing it and then yeah. i can't tell you how much i love the moment of he he kisses her on the cheek yeah and apologizes and she says you missed yep it's very sweet that's great and then yeah. kisses him mm -hmm. and we're back at the office and here comes miles finch and we see feet go by, but we can't see him because he's small. Mm -hmm. And then there is Peter Dinklage. And you know what I noticed looking at this time? You know what his costume is? To me, I, I, I'm assuming they're consciously referencing Gordon Gecko, Because he's got oh, the white collar yeah. and the blue. It's totally a Gordon Gecko suit. Great point. And, and okay. who he is, is this extremely cynical... Yep. He's like the cynical genius short story or children's story person. All right. <clears throat> what have you guys got so far? And again, these are all improvs from Kyle Gass. It's like <laughs> a tomato in tough times. No tomatoes. Too vulnerable. Kids, they're already vulnerable. And they have an asparagus that pee smells. <laughs> and then terrible. he says, look. I've got about five or six great starts here. I've got one idea that I'm especially psyched out of my mind about. You know, it's one of those ideas where you're just like, yes! <laughs> and they all react. And he's about to start and say what it is. It starts with the cover. Picture this. And in walks Buddy. I'm in love! I'm in love! And I don't care who knows it! And this scene is so painful. Oh, yeah. I didn't know you had elves working here. Boy, you're, you're hilarious, my friend. I love how Peter Dinklage plays this, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. He... He's great. He's really great in this scene. And it's so funny because every single thing Buddy says is exactly a horrible, horrible insult. Oh, yeah. That I'm sure Peter Dinklage has lived through these insults in his yeah. life, you know? Right. And so to committing to be part of this scene as an actor, uh, and Dinklage wasn't someone they just found on the street. Dinklage had some uh, credits and resume coming into this part. Mm -hmm. They turned it around to have him be this guy who was like legitimately successful. He's, you know, he talks about how much, how many women he's had and all this stuff, all the standard male heterosexual ideas of what success means, right? Money, women, attractiveness, uh, and uh, the ability to fight, physically fight. So it's just the standard stuff. So you could in some prism see him as a toxic male guy but 
this is but the fact that he's uh, you know a, a diminutive person it kind of works in his favor to have these things to show off uh, his success and he's probably had to establish yet another person steve just like we said with jovi someone who's had to put on this front yeah. in order to succeed in a tough world who would normally be made fun of by people he's turned it around and become successful so he can't be made fun of anymore so when Win Fer will ferrell does it here unknowingly it turns on his uh, uh, anger mechanism. I, I think what's one of the things that's really good about this movie is there really are no small characters. Yeah, yeah. Everyone who shows up really, I mean, Faze on Love, he is trying to keep his job at that store and he's trying to deal with all the things that he's trying to deal with. Yep. Like this character, you clearly have a sense of who this guy is. Yeah. That yeah. he had to fight for his position and he's established some real alpha stuff in order yep. to get not get messed with and now he feels like he's getting messed with so i suggest you wipe that stupid smile off your face before i come over there and smack it off and we get to call me elf one more time he's an angry elf <laughs> <laughs> jumps up on the table charges him he does the full captain kirk two-foot <laughs> kick into the chest wrestles him clearly had it. some martial arts training flips him onto the desk call me elf you're an elf <laughs> <laughs> tosses him off the table and then he char he charges out and wilfrell's line he must be a south pole elf <laughs> and now james con loses it on i don't care that you're an elf i don't care that you're nuts i don't care that you're my son get out of my life now and if you watch as soon as he reacts that way everybody in the conference room is ashamed uh, mm -hmm. of what Khan has said like you see his reaction maybe because they like buddy maybe not but seeing your boss talk that way to his own son in such a such a dismissive manner it really you can see they're just ashamed to be near him yeah just tell me how the pitch went i'm gonna be a little later than i thought okay well don't be too late walter's christmas eve again we're right into scrooge and you know mm -hmm. all that stuff and now our guys come in and they found Miles Finch's notebook. Yeah. And is there any moment of considering giving back this guy's intellectual property? Hmm. Not nope. even a second. <laughs> yep. Not a second. We're going to steal it. Buddy writes a note on yeah. the Etch-A-Sketch. I'm sorry I ruined your lives and crammed 11 cookies into the VCR. I don't belong here. I don't belong anywhere. I'll never forget you. Love, buddy. He's out walking in the snow. Michael the comes home, finds the Etch-A-Sketch. And now we're at the board meeting. Yeah. And what's so funny is uh, James Conn starts to pitch it. And he says, let's start with the cover, which is exactly what Miles Finch said. I'm mm -hmm. going to start with the cover. That's when Buddy comes in and interrupts him. And now Michael... The sun comes in and interrupts this. We never get past, let's start with the cover on this <laughs> it's pitch. True. It's a great point. I never caught that. <laughs> Buddy ran away. What? I'm scared, Dad. He's gone. Oh, let me just finish this uh, meeting and then um, we'll figure it out, okay? Figure out what? Buddy cares about everybody. All you care about is yourself. And he takes it in. And then he says, We're going to have to reschedule this. Uh, and Michael Lerner's like, we can't reschedule. I want to hear the damn thing now. And then he says, son, you have to wait. Oof. Don't, don't tell Mikey what to do. Uh, 
That's that's James Conn reverting. Like James Conn became street New York in that moment because yeah. he was going to take Michael Irwin and go flip him around like uh, Dinklage flipped around Will Ferrell in that moment. He says, well, "Don't don't talk to my son that way." Like it's basically, you 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 got one more chance here, and then it's all over. Because Sonny Corleone is in there. I know he's always in there. Son. He's always there. <laughs> well, this is one of the things I know we talked about his performance in Misery, and in a weird way, I, yeah. I I think this is a similar performance, an entirely different movie, but it's all restrained. Everything yeah. is totally restrained, and there's all this stuff behind it that you can see. If you want to keep your job, Hobbs, you will pitch me this book right now. And there's a pause, and then we get. Hmm. Hope yours. <laughs> And I love that Michael repeats it. Yeah, up yours. And he says, hey. And then they, they do a little fist bump. It's pretty yep. cool. Um, and Buddy is on the bridge. And again, they're they're consciously in It's a Wonderful Life now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we hear Santa. Factor, hold, come on, come on. Santa? And out of the clouds comes the sled. And there are flames coming out of the back of the sleigh. And it goes down in Central Park. Michael sees it and is running in that direction. Buddy is running through the trees. He finds the sleigh and the reindeer. It's, I love Santa has the tire iron. <laughs> I love that. It's, it's, it's a Santa who understands New York. Yeah, totally, totally <laughs> understands New York. He says, back off, slick. And then realizes it's Buddy. The clausometer suddenly just dropped down to zero. There's just no Christmas spirit anymore. I need an elf's help. I... I'm not an elf, Santa. I, I, I can't do anything right. Buddy, you're more of an elf than anyone I ever met. And the only one who I would want working on my sleigh tonight. Can I tell you what I think about this moment? It's, it, yeah. What I would say is not true, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think Santa is totally manipulating Buddy in this moment. He doesn't think he's more than an elf. He's just the only... He needs Buddy to fix the damn thing. Hey. And he's telling him what he needs to tell him to get the thing fixed. Santa's a smart man. He's a businessman. He's running he's a business. A business. <laughs> it's business. I'm standing here outside Central Park where it is unclear exactly what has happened. What we do know is that authorities have closed the park and are in the process of clearing it. Uh, the only thing that people can seem to agree on here is that they saw something fall from the sky. Even her character has a full character because yeah. it's clearly her first night for she's like an out of town news person. And this is yeah. her first night on the bigs. Charlotte. And you could hear the, the anchorman's kind of given her some crap. You know, <laughs> it's such an unusual thing to throw in this moment because Charlotte and he's like, well, you know, we're, I know you're not used to covering big news stories like <laughs> we do here in New York. Like all of it is just this great dig uh, at her and she's rolling with it as best she can, which is very funny. Michael and dad find the engine. They find Buddy. Buddy, there's something I have to tell you right now. Um, I didn't mean anything I said back there. Not, not a word. I, I don't want you to leave. My son and I. I love you. I love oh, you. Such a sweet moment. I get emotional every time when I watch it now that I'm older, that scene. Because Khan is, you know, is like you said, he's not the nicest guy in the film, but there's real like apology in that moment. There's a real sincere understanding that he went too far and that he took it out on the wrong person. His totally. Frustration. Yeah. Totally. I think in a different kind of movie, you would have to earn this movie moment more. Oh, right. But right. but that's not this is this is this movie, you yeah. know? Right. Like the moment that Michael Lerner tells his kid what to do and is and michael says what he says in the boardroom 
the the switch has flipped. Yeah, you know he's now he's now a sympathetic figure. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that the the hug with lots of pats and they all go on too long. <laughs> Come with me. Right. And there's Santa. I'm here with another eyewitness who has his own version of what happened, sir. What did you see? I think you're great, Charlotte. Uh... You know, and talking about um characters that are full characters, we have this guy come up who's another eyewitness, and he is. Yeah, he's like Matt. He's like hitting on her, and that's uh, Matt Walsh. I, I saw something fall from the sky right in the middle of Central Park. I mean, you're a great news lady. Thank you. Oh, that's who that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just adds a little, small little bit to this movie. Yeah. And we hear that the uh, the Central Park Rangers are going to clear the park, and these are some highly trained. <laughs> and I love I love the line. And their controversial crowd control tactics at the Simon and Garfunkel concert in 85 are still under investigation. <laughs> Which, by the way, the Simon and Garfunkel concert in Central Park is actually in 81. Oh, yeah. But it's um, also one of the most chill <laughs> concerts you'll ever go. I have the uh, the uh, CD and I I bought the video or I purchased the the DVD of it. It's it's one of the most relaxing concerts you'll ever attend. I listened to that album so many times. Oh yeah. In the 80s. I mean I just over and it's a fantastic live album. Yep, it is. So you're really Santa Claus. Tell me Michael, what do you want for Christmas? I wanted a skateboard. Oh. Not just a skateboard. Then he shows him the book, the list, yeah. the, the 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 nice list, and there is his name with the skateboard. And then he says, "Go look over there," and there is in fact the skateboard. Yeah. And what happens in that moment? Slay goes up. Yep. What happened? You made my sleigh fly. Christmas spirit. Yeah. Christmas spirit. Um, and Michael's got the solution. Let's get some news guys here and we'll fil film you and then the whole world will have Christmas spirit. Christmas spirit is about believing, not seeing. Mm, right. How's that? What does that sound familiar like? It's faith. Yeah, faith. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. We did Miracle on 34th Street years ago. Mm -hmm. That's what that movie's about. It's all yep. about faith. All you about know? faith. Yep, yep. And I love the the cuts to the uh, Central Park Rangers. You want, you want to know what Favreau's inspiration for how he filmed these guys? What? The Ring Wraiths in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that makes so much sense. Totally does. I, I also think this is maybe remnants of the darker script. This is what I thought that having discovered that, uh, that there was a darker version, that maybe this is something that made it through all the cuts because it is so random in the movie to have this be something that you're worried about or have to even have a concern about in the film because there's been no buildup to these Central Park Rangers, yet they appear out of the blue. They're like fame, death, and pestilence and all of that. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it makes sense. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they were in the original script. But what I do yeah. know is that the big climax was a huge gunfight down like Fifth Avenue. What? That was the climax of the original. A gunfight. A gunfight with Santa. Yeah. I mean, I haven't read it. That's just. I think that's what Favreau said. Um, oh, I'd love to see a gunfight with Santa. Oh, I think they just did it with Mel Gibson. It's called Fat Man. It just came out. <laughs> Michael has a plan and he grabs the list and Santa's like, hey, my list. 
and goes to the reporter and says, mm-hmm. It's him. It's the real Santa. His sleigh won't fly because nobody believes in him. <laughs> Did you see something in the parking out there? Santa needs us to believe I can prove he's real. Look, this is his list. And he reads names of kids and what they're going to get. And we cut mm-hmm. to the, all those kids who are watching the news on Christmas Eve. <laughs> um, and they're all cheering. And of course, then we cut to uh, a biker bar and he's, <laughs> and we see the guy's name and then he wants a spa day at Burke Williams. <laughs> Must be another Dirk Lawson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, confirmation that uh, Santa must have been cited because we have his book right here. <laughs> What's your name? Uh, I'm Charlotte Denon, New York One. Charlotte Denon wants a Tiffany engagement ring and for her boyfriend to stop dragging his feet in committal. And the crowd was like, oh. Ooh. <laughs> she cuts it like. She doesn't believe. She yeah. doesn't believe. Right. Hey, Michael, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. But, buddy, he's he's in the park with Santa. The sleigh won't fly because there's no Christmas spirit. And then here comes Mary Steenburgen, and she shows up, and Jovi's alone, and she goes. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. <laughs> and, and, and again, this moment wouldn't be happening like this if right. John Favreau doesn't find out that Zoe Deschanel sings. Right, right, good point. You know? Like yeah. all of this coming together, you know, it's all sort of happy accidents that mm-hmm. a good director knows how to take advantage of to go like, oh, I see a thing here that I can use. Right. Also, you love the fact that Jovi doesn't question that Santa's alive and Santa's yeah. real. Like she never questions it. Though when he when Michael tells her, she's like, you know what? I met this buddy. He's an elf. Uh, anything's possible now. I mean, I think it all goes back to why were you in the ladies locker room? Right. I heard your singing. Yeah. And that that was the truth. Yep. And from that being the truth, every she believes it all. Buddy, you gotta get going. Get in now. Santa, I'm not done with the engine yet. Buddy jumps on the back of the sled and then flips into the sled. Jovi steps on a carriage and starts nervously singing Santa Claus is Coming to Town and people start turning. You better watch out. You better not cry. We get a little bit more power. More people are joining in. Mary Steenburgen joins in awkwardly. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. This is a pickup. Um, oh, when they first they shot they shot it originally in the New York scene. Yeah, and it was the beat work of it was just her character happily joins singing. And John Favreau realized that it wasn't doing the right thing transitionally. Mm-hmm. And so he reshot it with different beat work, which is, um, you know, gave her the direction of that. It's you don't want to sing. It's awkward. Mm-hmm. You realize that you need to sing, even though your voice isn't that great, but you overcome that. And then it feels good when people join in. Mm-hmm. And that makes the moment work. And he just yeah. shot it in Vancouver, just in the back where they were shooting, because there's, there's almost no background behind her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, again, that is a perfect little pickup. Those are the kinds of strange little things that you go like, no, I need this moment to move mm-hmm. the scene forward. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Uh, Michael Jordan's in singing. The crowd starts going and singing. The meter is going up on Santa's sleigh. There's sparks from the engine and they're coming towards uh, a famous spot in New York. It's Bethesda Fountain. And he hits the start button, they blast off because the engine working and they hit the statue and the engine gets knocked off. Mm-hmm. I love Santa's line. <laughs> We're toast. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, they crash by a homeless guy who has a uh, beatbox around his neck. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who this was. Did you? No. Who is it? He is a fa- I mean, I'm sure you've been around where there's a certain famous, famous sort of character in your neighborhood. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So this is Radio Man, who was very oh. famous in New York. A oh. lot of people say that this is who the Fisher King is based on. Oh, interesting. He's okay. in an episode of 30 Rock. He's in Departed. He's in Shutter Island. He's in episodes wow. of It's Always Sunny. Um, he's in Godzilla, Ransom, uh, Big Daddy, Mr. Deeds, and Little Nicky. Good God. Whoopi Goldberg took him as her date to the Oscars. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I didn't know who that is, but that, but I, I mean, apparently, if you were a New Yorker in this era, you knew who Radio Man was. He knows if you're awake. He knows if you've been fed. Now they're broadcasting this song over the news, and we have kids singing. The, this is classic fun movie stuff. The mailroom is singing. The yeah. security guys we met before singing. The office people are singing. The people at Gimbals are singing. The people in the biker bar are singing. <laughs> but it's still not quite enough. And then we cut to our family. And Michael looks up at James Kahn, who is lip syncing, but yeah. not singing. Please watch the big deal. Dad. John Favreau calls this the Horton Hears a Who moment. Mm. It's one more voice. One more little voice is all you need. Santa Claus is coming to town. And suddenly the sled meter goes, the the closet meter, whatever it is, goes high. And uh, the sled comes roaring over them. By the way, incredible reaction from James Caan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And everyone, and shots of the reporter, shot, a baby sees it. That baby is always going to have the Christmas spirit, John, their whole life. <laughs> they won't know why, but they will always have the Christmas spirit. Well, I guess we'll never know for sure what happened this Christmas Eve in Central Park. By the way, uh, it's come up before, you know, I've talked about this idea of the difference between story and plot and that plot Mm. is sort of the mechanism of the conflicts that are happening in story is more about the characters and their evolution and interpersonal conflict and things like that. And um, one of the things that's in the book that someday I'm going to finish writing is really well-made movies have the story character climax coincide exactly with the plot climax. Mm. This is a perfect example. The story character climax is James Caan singing. Mm-hmm. And the plot is, can we get the sleigh to fly? Can we get Santa, Santa sleigh to fly? It yeah. is James Caan singing. His evolution as a character is what solves the problem of the plot. Mm. That is really tight screenwriting. And so, with a little help, Buddy managed to save Christmas. And his spirit saved a lot of other people, too. And then we hear James Kahn is uh, playing piano for Jovi, who's singing a Christmas song. Again, this is just something John Favreau, he didn't know that James Kahn, that wasn't in the script. He just mm. found out James Kahn could play piano somehow while they're shooting, and that's what created this moment. We hear that uh, James Kahn formed his own publishing house, and their first book was this story about an elf. First, I traveled through the seven levels of the candy cane forest. Past the sea of twirly, swirly gumdrops. Then I walked through the Lincoln Tunnel. And as for me, I can't complain. 
but he comes up to visit from time to time. In the meadow, we can build a snowman. There's Jovi in a pink red elf outfit. <laughs> pours some milk again. This is forced perspective. So that where she pours the milk is like 10 feet closer to the camera than where Bob Newhart is actually sitting. We see they have a baby and Bob Newhart goes, come here, little one, wants the baby. And Buddy comes and sits on his lap. <laughs> and this is a great sound effect when he sits on him. Yeah. Buddy. <laughs> and we have Ray Charles, Winter Wonderland. And this is and the page closes. And this is the end of Elf. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. It really, it really does just such a perfect job of balancing the broad comedy with the sweet, sincere stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a couple of quick things about Post. Uh, uh, John Favreau had an expression I'd never heard that I like, which is shooting the movie as you shop for groceries. Post production is cooking the meal. Mm. I like that. I like that quite a lot. Um, and then uh, there's there's in some of the behind the scenes footage, there's a little piece where they're talking about editing a moment. It's just a really good explanation. They're talking about the the scene where he comes in and, and and sings to his dad for the Christmas gram. Yeah. And how they use different takes. You know, like this part of take one worked and this part of take two worked. And then they had to get a reaction shot so they have a cutaway so they could blend things together. And just kind of explaining this strange puzzle of trying to get all the stuff you want to get out of editing. It was really interesting. Uh, it made for a thirty-two million dollar movie. It made two hundred and twenty-nine million dollars at the back uh, at the box office. Wow! Uh, it was very well reviewed. The soundtrack was a hit. They yeah. did an animated special based on it. There was an Elf musical, which I didn't mm -hmm. know. There was an Elf video game. There have been many, many rumors of a sequel. Favreau continually says, "Yeah, it could happen." Will Ferrell continually says, "That's not going to happen." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I heard that James Caan said Will and John didn't really get along very well. That's the that's what he said, and I don't know if anyone's ever backed it up, but that's that's what he says, you know. Yeah, I don't think Favreau was at the reading either, so I don't know if that's true. Or oh, not. really? Oh, the recent reading? I don't know. I don't know. So don't quote me on it. I'm. I don't think there should be a sequel. It's perfect as it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There was well, a Christmas Story sequel and that sucked. So I mean, it's like it's, do a, it's seen a seeing a, a a elf that's 20 years older right you know i don't know that that's what i want to because you have to go down the route that he becomes james Conn, right he becomes mm. cynical about christmas and it takes his son reminding him of what it was like to believe in christmas again yeah oh, that's hey, logically where you, you go you, you just wrote it they should <laughs> yeah, hire well, you yeah right <laughs> you guys can fill in the lines and stuff i'll just take credit for having come up <laughs> um uh uh, John, what are your yep. final thoughts on this Christmas classic? Ah, I love this movie so much. I mean, talking about it with you is reliving it all over again. I almost became—I was almost in two places, being your co-host on this show and also being a fan, listening to us talk about it because I enjoy the movie so much and reliving the movie as so many of our fans do when they listen to, or listeners rather do uh, when they listen to our uh, our shows or episodes. So I—I I just saw the movie all over again, and it was so much fun, and I love it to pieces. I love Will Ferrell in it, and look, I'm one of those guys that was James Con for a long time about. Christmas in my 20s and in my early 30s and I met my own buddy the elf and Michael Vogel and he kind of changed me around about Christmas uh, in the late 90s into the 2000s and beyond and I now it's one of the one of the seasons I look forward to the most we could lose so many other holidays but Christmas is the one that I would defend to my dying breath because it reminds us 
uh, of the possibilities that we might still have as a species and as a people, the possibility of joy, the possibility of coming together to help each other, the possibility of helping your fellow man, the possibility of unifying. And it's all around the Christmas spirit. And this film really brings that out, the idea of the power of the Christmas spirit and how it can affect people and help people and bring people back together and uh, uh, put smiles back on faces and help people believe in the possibility of something more magical or something incredible that can happen in the world. And it's all through this uh, guy in yellow tights and a green coat. You know, it's just incredible. So, uh, and I love the uh, the honesty and the purity of this movie more than anything else. It isn't trying to be, it isn't trying to make some grandiose statement. It's just exactly what it is. And it's so earnest and believable and honest in its approach that it's, it's um, irresistible in its charm in that way. That's great. The the I I just sort of two thoughts about mm. this. The first is this year, two thousand three, between this and old school, this oh, yeah. is the arrival of this person who would be the dominant comedian for five or six years. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I think, and it's so interesting that you have these people. You know, whether it's Eddie Murphy at a certain area, Chevy Chase at a certain area, Adam yeah. Sandler at a certain time, that just come in and they dominate for a certain amount of time, and then. The next one comes. Yeah. Jim Carrey. And, yep. Yeah. Jim Carrey. Exactly. Is that I think at this moment, there is no funnier person in movies than Will Ferrell. I mm. just, mm-hmm. and, and watching every little thing he does in this movie cracks me up. So that the first thing is, this is this arrival of the star. And the second thing I would say is I go back to John Favreau saying that Christmas movies are about spirit overcoming cynicism. And I think he did such a good, this is such a good example of that because it's really, really funny, but it never loses that spirit, mm. that warmth and just says, yes, this is, this is true. Believe, believe in it. Just like Miracle on 34th Street does, just like A Christmas Carol does, just like It's a Wonderful Life does. Like all these movies make you go believe in this Christmas spirit. Our families will be happier. All of us will be happier. And even though, as you know, I'm an atheist, Mm. like the religious aspect of Christmas, I don't believe in. I love Christmas too. I really do. So, uh, I think that's it for this week. As always, you can visit us on our Facebook page, do a search for the cinephiles. Please subscribe to the show and wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's iTunes or YouTube or Spotify. If you uh, listen to it on iTunes, please leave us a review. Um, If you want to buy Elf or any other movie we've ever uh, reviewed or stream it through Amazon Prime, you can do so through cinephiles.net. You could support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles. You can follow the show on Twitter at cine underscore files. You can follow it on Instagram and the cinephiles podcast. I'm at SR Morris on Twitter and SR Morris one on Instagram. John, how about you? You can always follow me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, and you please come on by to my YouTube channel as well. YouTube.com slash John Roca says, see all the great content we got going on there. And, uh, and I just want to say, I know this is the Christmas season, and all, as joyful as this movie is, for some people, the Christmas season is a tough time. So I just want to tell you, I've been there. I know what that experience is like. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Please don't hesitate to call if you get to a really desperate place in your life. Call a prevention hotline. Call those hotlines that help you. They will be able to walk you back out of it or reach out to a friend or family member who can walk you 
out of the tough times. So just wanted to say that, put that out there. Know that we, me and Steve are always uh, respectful of, other, of people who find these seasons to be difficult as well. As much as we want to celebrate it by talking about this movie, we also want to support our fans who may not enjoy this season as much as others for personal reasons. I'm so glad you said that, John. And, and it made me think, I mean, this is, we're recording this. This is 2020. Mm. It's been a tough year. Yes. And this is going to be a holiday season that's going to be very different and maybe a lot harder for us. And mm. so, you know, whether it's over a phone call or Zoom or whatever way, you know, reach out to the people you care about because in the end, it's caring about other people that this season is all about. And, mm. uh, you know, we really appreciate all the care that the cinephiles yep. have shown us. And yep. we wish all of you a very happy holiday and a really happy 2021 because <laughs> we could use it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.